Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. And you can check out my Audible on African-American athletes on Amazon. I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness, The Institute of Black World and Political Activism in the 1970s, as well as Blood, Sweat and Tears, Jay Gaither, Florida A&M and the history of black college football. Welcome back, Lou. Ah, man. Thank you. It's good to be back. I know I don't seem cheerful, but I'm, I'm excited. One, I, Oh, gosh. I figure I got like one more week, maybe eight days tops of the semester. So we are uh, heading into to la- the last bit of grading papers starting tomorrow. Uh, been online. So you know how it is. You have a module. If the due date is the due date, then everything comes in at once. So I'm going to be swamped for about eight days. And after that, it's Madden 21. It's un, it's it's wrapped up right now. I haven't even unwrapped it. So the, the, the moment those grades are in, I'm not even talking to my kids. I'm just loading up Madden <laughs> on the Xbox. Going. Oh, man, I'm done. So I, I'm in a much, uh, my grades are in on Monday. So I'm feeling very uh, chipper. And now that I'm back into committee work and, uh, you know, meetings, but actually getting some time to do my own work before the Christmas fully ramps up. Uh, and, the you know, I got to think of another week before the kids are home for the holidays. They're at my parents, Zoom school at the parents. This is one of the perks of moving back to your hometown to take an academic job. Um, so it's been interesting. It's been interesting. It's been a crazy, we had, you know, pandemic. We're still playing pandemic sports. We are struggling. I think we said this last week. We are struggling to the finish line uh, in, uh, in, in college football and pro football. The big game is canceled. Ohio State versus Michigan. Uh, uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm an Ohio State alum, so I know what to say. Um, uh, they Ohio State was gonna win anyway, so it works out. Oh, like fifty? They was gonna put fifty up. Yeah, on they, was gonna so. put a, they were trying to put a half a hundred. COVID has been merciful. No, I'm just kidding. It's been awful. But to 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 Michigan. But can I just say something? Since I live in the state of Michigan, like they should not even be playing. But so we have these orders uh, from Gretch. I think I mentioned that uh, big Gretch, as they call her out here. And again, it's like allowing college football and allowing pro football simply because they think they have stuff in place to, I don't know. It doesn't stop the spread, but just, I guess if you find out, then you can stop it, but it doesn't. The thing is, is like these kids are getting COVID and the football team is getting COVID because you're allowing them to continue to be where they're at. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so at some point I'm not, I'm not a doctor here. I'm not, I'm not the COVID scientist, but somehow that person got COVID because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Like you just can't have college football in this pandemic because these young students, you can't keep them. It's not the NBA bubble. And I think that's what sports are finding out. It's not the NBA bubble. These are young kids. They're 19, 20 years old. They're on campus. They're not going to class because all their classes online. So they have a, a tremendous amount of free time. And I just think, you know, and then they're working out with 60, 70, 80 other guys who 
Let's 15, be clear. They're working they're with 15 and max, depending on the size right. of the weight room. Yeah, this is yeah, what they're people are seeing each other and they're they're and their face masks are on, but they're underneath the noses, and it's just like things are it's a mess. Spread. It's a mess. It's a mess. No, you're right. And then we saw the college basketball season uh uh start uh literally stopped almost as early quickly as it stopped. Every every major program has has faced uh either an opponent that has already canceled. Uh, due to COVID. Um, and then we saw Jeff Capel the other day, uh, the head basketball coach at the University of Pittsburgh, say he at, questioning out loud why they should be playing when they did not play in March. Uh, and this was, of course, followed by his mentor, Coach K uh, uh, of Duke, who uh, asked a very similar question uh, the other night. Uh, as many fans, because uh, I'm in bluegrass country home of the university of Kentucky uh, uh, where Duke is not necessarily a favored opponent. Uh, Many folks were noting that coach K said this after two home losses uh, this year, that he was raising questions about the viability of playing basketball seemed very self-centered in his analysis, uh, but he wasn't wrong. Let's just be perfectly honest. He wasn't wrong. Can I, can I say something real quick? Because, like that, I saw that Arkansas coach say that, and I'm like, "This is Alabama. this is the problem." Right, is that Alabama? This is the same thing to me in basketball. They're they're no they're good. wait Alabama. They fired Avery Johnson. Yeah, he's been fired. Oh man, <laughs> you know I don't pay attention to <laughs> college basketball, but this is the problem. The adults in the room say the dumb, and it's the coaches, man. Outside of Coach K and, and, and Cable, a lot of these guys just say they try to be like raw, raw tough. It's like you're not kicking COVID in the teeth. Like sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing is just not to play, right? Like, and, and they don't understand it. They got to be raw. T- they, I don't. It's like, dude, take your two mil, whatever you get, and just chill for a while. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, yeah, work no. out with your players if you can, and just you know, try to hope nobody gets it. hurt. Yeah, yeah. Those no, checks I, still come in. I mean, I saw a story the other day. This is my last point before we get on to our major topic here. Um, but uh, a, a young man at the University of Miami had to uh, end his season because his blood work came back and he had myocarditis um, uh, after having COVID, man. And it's like. Right. And, <laughs> and a, a, a woman basketball player at Vanderbilt too, same thing. Yeah. Okay. So I think we're start, we're going to see a number of these cases uh, pop up. And I just, you know, I, all you can say is you hope it's all worth it. You know what I mean? That's, right. that's all I can say. Um, but the reason we're here this evening is uh, that uh, approximately like 15 days ago, two weeks ago, uh, Diego Armando Maradona, the great Argentine soccer star, uh, passed away at the age of 60. And uh, I was talking to Lou offline. I was like, man, we need to do a pod on Maradona just because I think uh, he gets some really interesting questions about race. Uh, class, both in uh, Argentina as well as his time in Italy. And it's also a great opportunity to really kind of honor one of the greatest soccer players of of, uh, of all time. Uh, but Lou was like, I don't know anything about soccer. I'm putting words in your mouth, Lou. Uh, <laughs> no, it's basically what I said. Uh, and uh, so we had to call uh, our favorite friend, uh, Jermaine Scott, the black soccer doc to come in and get some expertise on uh, the world's game. Uh, And welcome to the pod again, Jermaine. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How y'all doing? Good. Good. Man, we're happy to have you, man. Last time we talked, I think you were a postdoc 
Is this right? This... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was. What we did women the World Cup? When was that? That was last yeah. summer. Oh my yeah, god, summer. that was because of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> was this? Yeah. yeah it, was, oh, it was summer nineteen, wasn't it? Like that. Oh wow. Yep. 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 And so now you. Yeah. yeah. Now you're now you're a professional, professional assistant professor. Can I shout you out? I'm gonna shout you out. Assistant professor at Florida Atlantic University, Boca Raton. I know that place very well. Is it is where I had my first job. So welcome and congratulations and welcome to the to the guild of working historians. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been a, you know, it's been one interesting semester, but, uh, you know, I made it at the, uh, you know, I made it out the other end. So happy to happy to be here for sure. Good, man. Can I, can I say one thing real quick and then I'll shut up for the next 20 minutes. Yeah, if you guys get a chance, check out Jermaine's like scholarship scholarship. He does wonderful stuff. I've been reading his stuff and seeing his stuff probably for the last three or four years. So you guys, he's got a, a wonderful piece on on Howard soccer. He's got one coming out on on black soccer in Harlem in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, he's changing the game in sports history. So when you get a chance, uh, you get behind that. If you get behind that paywall, check out his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so Jermaine, let me, let me just start here, right? How, you know, Maradona, uh, for those who don't know, uh, you know, our listeners who may not be familiar with soccer, can you give us a little background on, on why we consider him one of the greatest players of all time? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Diego Maradona, um, first and foremost, we, you know, we can kind of identify him through his position, right? So, He's what a lot of, uh, you know, soccer authorities, soccer historians uh, consider a classic number 10 position. Um, so this is kind of like your main playmaker on the field. You're a kind of attacking midfielder, um, you know, and he's kind of the, you know, he's kind of the quarterback, if you will, um, on, you know, on the soccer team. He's kind of directing the directing the flow of the game, making the passes, uh, creating all the plays. Uh, but for, for Maradona, I think what made him so special was really um, – well, one was his dribbling ability, right? Like he was really known as just a really beautiful uh, dribbler. Um, and then just the way he was able, for me, the way he was able to kind of create space, right? Or kind of uh, navigate small spaces or create small spaces where you would seemingly think there's no way to, <laughs> to create a space. Um, <laughs> but he somehow finds that, right? And, 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 you know, he kind of exploits that opening. Um, and, you know, I mean, I mean, so like we, you know, I, I I like to think of Maradona really as, you know, Maradona the footballer, and then Maradona, you know, the person, right? Like, you know, Maradona the man, right? Because there's kind of two, there's two different things going on there as well, you know. Yeah, no, so uh, so you know, people, the friends of the pod know I played soccer uh, many many years ago, two two and a half decades plus ago, and uh, you know, I remember. Uh, 86 World Cup was so uh, influential for me, right? As a as a kid coming, you know, I I was I was 10, 11 years old, and uh, watching that, and that was really the first World Cup uh, because it was in Mexico City. It was the first World Cup that we had in the United States where we had multiple games streamed into American audiences live, right? Or you could get them in Spanish live, right? It was a big deal. A, for I, I remember watching, it was the first time I had watched soccer with Spanish commentators. And you realize that they were talking about a completely different game than you were hearing in the English speaking language. I mean, it was crazy. Like all this excitement and 
all that kind of uh, the flair. Uh, and the thing that you remember that I remember most, at least, is in that 86 World Cup is that Mar- Maradona could not be uh, knocked off the ball. It was the most amazing. You talked about his dribbling ability. This dude might be 5'5". Five, five. I feel like that's giving him like an itch. Um, but he's built of like straight concrete, right? Like he's he's both unbelievably strong uh, and probably had the greatest balance of anybody that we've ever seen play that we think of in that greatest category. I mean, his balance is unprecedented. Um, And and he single-handedly led Argentina to the 86 World Cup. And here in the States, um, because my colleagues I know are both younger than me, but in the States, um, the game against England was so important because, you know, we're English speaking, you, you know, the United States wasn't in the World 86 World Cup. And, you know, we were vicariously rooting for the British, right? And to watch that game, uh, Maradona with both the hand of the God, which he handed the ball, and the basically the goal of the century where he dribbles past like nine dudes uh, on the way to scoring uh, is life-changing. And, and everybody's like, we're going back into the backyard and we got to figure out how to dribble like that guy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think, I mean, what you said about his balance is really uh, manifested in that goal of the century, right? Where you just see him kind of take the ball from from his own half and just dribble around uh, the entire English uh, defense um, and kind of just really beautifully just slip it past uh, the keeper. Um, you know, and it really comes like a couple of minutes right after uh, the hand of God goal, where he notoriously uh, handles the ball um, into the goal and kind of disguises it um, as a header, right? And this and, and this game and really this you know tournament, as you said earlier, um, as he kind of single handedly uh, won the tournament with Argentina, um, is you know is really what kind of you know sets him up to you know to kind of be in this um, you know kind of this this kind of canonical figure in football history um, because he does it really. I mean, he I mean obviously he has a you know a, a strong supporting cast. But he's doing this really by himself, right? Like he is right. the main star on that Argentina team, um, you know. But the but the English but but the England game is also interesting because of the politics, right? And so yes. we have, um, you know, the kind of English invasion or the English occupation um, of the Falkland Islands um, of the Malvinas, rather, um, you know, which is which is located uh, off the shores of off the shores of Argentina. Um, and his first, his first goal, the hand of God <clears throat> really comes to represent, um, this kind of revenge, if you will, um, against this English aggression. Um, you know, I mean, of course, from the English perspective, it's, it's seen as, you know, oh, you know, Maradona cheated, um, <laughs> right. you know, but kind of from the perspective of, you know, Maradona, from the perspective of the kind of the global South and the third world, it's, you know, it's, it's this moment of revenge, right? It's this moment of, um, kind of uh, getting back at you know at one's oppressors, and then of course followed by you know the brilliant uh, the brilliant run that he makes uh, for the goal of the century. That game in itself, those two goals, kind of uh, represent really uh, what I think a lot of people saw in Maradona, right? This kind of genius, but also this you know this trickster character as well. Yeah, I mean, I think yes, absolutely. And I think that one of the things that I didn't fully under, I didn't under, you know, as a kid, we I didn't understand the English occupation of of 
of, of the Falkland Islands or the Maldives. I, like that was not part of my 11 year old consciousness at the time. Um, and I think that in hindsight, I think that we understand the politics. I'm reminded of, I believe it's the 90 World Cup in which Germany and Holland played. And uh, I was older and was completely more aware of the the politics of World War II being played out uh, on this soccer pitch, right? Like it was like these two teams hated each other, and you could like and and all you could hear was English commentators alluding to something that had happened, and you're like, oh yeah, the Nazis occupied Holland, right? Like and had concentration camp, like that was part of the politics. And so one of the interesting dynamics that we see. Um, um, uh, surrounding soccer in a way that we don't really see in American sports is these deeply seated rivalries, uh, geopolitical, also cultural rivalries play themselves out through the medium of of sports. Um, and 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 I think that that's an, imp- an increasingly kind of important reason to understand Maradona. I want to also talk a little bit about race real quick, and I want to hear uh, Jermaine. Is that when, when as a child who is uh, as a as a black kid who's playing soccer, who's looking for role models in the globe? Uh, we, you know, you're black, you're automatically looking to Pelé, right? Like you're like this guy is the greatest of all time, and he looks like me, and there's like a lot of hope. And so you, as a kid in '82. Uh, I, I'm rooting for Brazil. I'm actually heartbroken as a young soccer player to learn that they lose to Italy. You're rooting for them again in 86. But one of the things that stands out when you're watching these, especially in these 80s uh, World Cup games, is that between Brazil and Argentina, the racial composition of the teams is dramatically different. That Argentina looks very much like a European squad where Brazil looks very much like the global South. And we say, and Maradona doesn't, he kind of fits in between these two places. Can you explain for our listeners a little bit about this kind of racial politics in Argentina and also how Maradona uh, fits in? Yeah. Well, I mean, Maradona uh, was, was, was raised in kind of, you know, what, what what people would call the slums of, 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 uh, of Buenos Aires in Argentina in the capital of Argentina and so from, you know, from very early on, he's, he's, he's racialized, right, as a poor working class. I mean, you know, not even, not even working class, right, but a kind of a poor uh, kid from the slums, right? And he kind of, and, um, you know, he kind of has this kind of darker pigmentation, right? So he's, he's not seen as kind of one of the um, Argentine uh, elite, right? He's not, he's mm-hmm. not part of that. He's not part of that class. Um, and this is something that he carries with himself uh, really throughout his career, right? He kind of embraces, um, you know, not necessarily this rags to riches story, but he embraces the working classes of the world, right? He, um, you know, which is kind of really seen, um, you know, in his time in Italy, right? Where, mm-hmm. where, where he's playing uh, in the Syria uh, with Napoli, right? Where, where, where Southern Italy also becomes racialized, right? In a lot of different ways as being dirty, um, mm-hmm. as backwards, right? As being um, obviously poorer, right? Than, than the uh, Northern Italian teams, like the Juventus and, um, and uh, AC Milan, Inter Milan, all these, all these kind of bigger name teams. And so when, so when Maradona arrives at Napoli, it's kind of seen as a perfect marriage because here you have this kind of um, poster boy of the, of the global South, this poster boy of, of the working classes um, going alongside a team 
um, that is also that has also been negatively racialized, right, in kind of mm-hmm. the Italian context. Um, but in Argentina, it's very different from Brazil, right? And so we have, um, you know, obviously, you know, we we you know we did have slavery in Argentina, um, but there's this process uh, known as um, uh, blanqueamiento or, or mm-hmm. you know or whitening, right, throughout Latin America. Um, and this was done in Argentina with the, with, you know, I, you know, ironically with the importation of Italians. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and so, you know, these, and, you know, this kind of had this, this operated rather uh, kind of on different levels, you know, whether you were in Argentina um, or Brazil. So historically, as you said, Brazilian teams are often, um, often do have black players really dating from, you know, you know, as early as, uh, the 1920s and 1930s, right? We have a you know kind of a, a consistent black presence um, in the Brazilian squad, which is not seen um, in the in the Argentine squad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we see black players also in the Uruguay, you know, in the Uruguayan squad in the early um, you know in the early 20th century. So we see these kind of different um, varying uh, levels of of kind of um, uh, racial representation on these uh, Latin American teams. But Argentina is historically known as being um, represented really by by white Argentines, right? Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of uh, racial diversity, if you will, when it, when we're thinking about the Argentine football team. And I also want to add on that that we talk about this whitening project, right? And it is a project that it is engaged in in various parts of Latin America and the Caribbean, right? And but I think that when we if we look at the if you look at the entire region. Um, uh, Argentina is probably the quintessential example of that, right? We go from a country that is, um, you know, at various points in slavery, anywhere between 25 and 30 percent African descent to a by the mid 20th century, we're talking about less than 5 percent, right? I think that's the numbers I saw. And I think this is really dramatic. And I think soccer, and this is one of the things I like, uh, you know, like when we talk about race and sports and history, that like, soccer, probably more than any other sport, gets us into thinking about this racialized history of these nations and the way that they grapple with how they imagine themselves, especially at the at the international level of, of the national teams. Uh, and that Argentina team, right, that had been successful in 70, it won the 78 World Cup, uh, many ways was grappling with some of these very same issues. Um, and I think that it's just, it's, it's interesting to think that like Maradona gets placed in there where he is in the Argentine context uh, is seen as black, right? For the, you know, because he's marginalized because he comes from these slums and he's part indigenous and he's from the, you know, his, his lineage is probably including all these people who've migrated from Bolivia and other countries into Argentina to Buenos Aires who are working in the slums and trying to carve out and eke out a living, uh, on the very edges of that society versus vis-a-vis the elite. Um, but you don't see that quite as much uh, in other countries. You brought up Uruguay, and that's a great example of a country that looked, whose national team looked one way in the 30s and looks something very different <laughs> in 2000, <laughs> whatever the last yeah. year. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uruguay is an interesting uh, example. <laughs> and, and so I think that, we, but we can see this everywhere. I remember I went to the 94 World Cup and I saw Bolivia, and it was like really interesting to watch. A, a country that was clearly had embraced this kind of indigenous identity as part of who they were, right? Like, and so you're seeing these countries in Latin America uh, and South America really 
grapple through their national teams develop and uh, a a um not only they're just taking the best players but in taking the best players they're also fashioning a um national identity uh through soccer uh and so Mar- maradona does this like he's light enough in the globe to 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 fit in with argentina especially when we look at them versus vis-a-vis brazil but within Argentina, he operates a different kind of way. And Argentina, vis-a-vis England, uh, is seen as the global South, right? So we have all these kind of intricate, I think, amazing kinds of politics. You brought up uh, Maradona's uh, uh, move to Italy. Um, uh, for those who are fully unaware, he uh, before the 86 World Cup, he had signed uh, with Initially signed to Barcelona out of uh, coming out of I think he was out of Boca Juniors, right? Um, Juniors, yes. And then he signed to Barcelona. He was he was good at Barcelona. It was injured, just not able to do the things that he uh, will become known to. He gets a transfer to uh, uh, to Napoli, which is in Naples, which is in southern Italy. And like you said, it was a it was a match made in heaven. And in many ways, it gets to the fact that he embodies and embraces this underdog, marginalized kind of liminal identity. And it's like fuel to him uh, in the way that he goes about the game. Uh, talk about his time in Italy and, 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 and for our listeners who are unfamiliar with the Serie A, uh, where does, uh, does Napoli fit into this kind of hierarchy of teams and, and what did Maradona do there? Yeah, so um, as you said, before he, went to, uh, before he came to Napoli, he was at Barcelona. Um, so he was at Barcelona from 1982 to 1984. Um, you know, again, not really a successful campaign there. Um, so he comes to Napoli in 1984, and when he comes to Napoli, they've never won the Serie A championship, right? They never won the top flight championship uh, in in Italian soccer. That's always been um, kind of held between the northern teams, right? So we know these teams today. I mean, still, you know, still as the big name teams of uh, Juventus and AC Milan and Roma and uh, Inter Milan. Um, and so when, when Maradona comes again, Napoli has never won a championship. Uh, he, uh, he, he arrives in 1984. Um, and then, you know, by, you know, 1987, they're winning their first, uh, they're winning their first title, right? They're, they're winning their first championship. So he takes a team that has never won uh, a title and wins their first, um, title in, uh, in, in team history. And then he does it again. Um, you know, yeah, I think three years later in 1990, uh, uh-huh. where he went to title. Right. And so, um, you know, he, he, he drastically transformed, uh, he drastically transforms, uh, the club. But again, um, I think what is, what's also interesting to note is, you know, I mean, I think Maradona himself said that he, you know, he suffered, uh, from racist abuse, right. While playing mm-hmm. in Italy. Right. So, so to think about, the kind of nature of Serie A during this time, and even today, I mean, even today, right? right that racism was incredibly rampant uh, through the league, right? And um, he was definitely he was definitely subject to that as well. But you know, his time in Italy also kind of, you know, I mean, kind of thinking about this this kind of split, or not really split, but this kind of dichotomy between Maradona the player and Maradona the man. Um, you know, his time during Italy is rest, is, is also where he, um, you know starts you know dabbling with uh with cocaine right and 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 you know he, you know he takes on this uh this cocaine addiction right and which he battles really 
dabbling is a uh, dabbling is very kind. That was a very look. That was you being. That was very nice of you to say. Like three days straight. Like 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 dude was like playing on Sunday. Going out from Sunday, Cocaine, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. out till Wednesday, and they would come in on Wednesday to train and basically detox for two days so they could play again on Sunday. Yeah, he was definitely on a different regimen, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice way. Of, look at Jermaine. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, unfortunately, right? This is part of the tragedy of Maradona, right? That. um you know, he, he kind of battles with this, uh, with this addiction, you know, kind of for the, you know, really for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, you know, but I mean, that's, again, that's, that's also part of, you know, again, the nature of, you know, Italian football at the time where you had, you know, the mafia was, was, was really involved. Um, of course, you know, in this documentary, they showed that kind of relationship between, uh, Maradona and the Camorra, uh, family, um, in, in, uh, in uh, Naples. And so, you know, he has a very um, successful career as a footballer, right? But this also is the beginning of kind of the tragic, uh, you know, the kind of the, tra- you know, the, the tragedy of Maradona, right? This kind of tragic mythology or legacy. Well, I, I want to say this too, right? I think this is a great opportunity for us to think in the broader context that, that like we see the same, we don't see uh, players with the same uh, success at the highest, highest level as Maradona, but we see cocaine proliferating through professional sports right like like we you know professional basketball we we have whole drafts the 86 draft with lynn bias and charles shackerford's in that draft and and, uh, roy tarpley's in that draft like all those guys careers are impacted by cocaine we have we just did that podcast on spencer haywood right right. yeah spencer haywood right was talking about doing cocaine hi right you know um in professional baseball, there were these stories of Tim Rock Rain. <laughs> Tim Rain. I wasn't going to say no names, but since you said it, um, Tim Rain's, you know, talking about how he would slide head first in the first base because he didn't want to mess up uh, what was in his back pocket, right? Like, this, <laughs> this is the way that, like, I mean, and so Maradona yeah. in that moment, yes, he is, he's, he's, is grap, you know, gripped by addiction uh, to cocaine. But this is a problem that we're seeing the globe over uh, in professional sports and in college sports. Right. I think that this is this is part of, um, uh, you know, kind of this culture of of cocaine drug culture that is proliferating across the globe at this particular time. And I think, you know, uh, you brought up the documentary that uh, we highly recommend uh, people watch on HBO Max. Um, But. (laughs) It's HBO Max now. Um, but I think that one of the things that I wish the documentary had done was to give us uh, to widen out a little bit. Uh, and so that we understand that, yes, Maradona's gripped by addiction, but to give us a good scope of all these players who are are grappling with addiction, because it makes it seem like he's this kind of unique outlier when I actually think he's in, I won't say the majority, but he's not out of the norm. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I I do wonder, and I mean, this would I guess, I guess this would require some some further research, but I do wonder what the scene was like with throughout the soccer world, right? Throughout the football world itself. So, I mean, so I mean, you bring up great examples from 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 other sports, but I wonder um, kind of what that what the use of these drugs looked like uh, in the football. I mean, obviously, I'm sure I'm sure it was rampant, right? But 
Um, I wonder how Maradona stood out in the context of football itself. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, and we don't know. I mean, I think, you know, this is for our future scholars out there who are interested in sports and, and research. This is, a, I think, an excellent, uh, a, a, an excellent project uh, that will, if you can speak multiple languages, uh, it'd be a great way to go out and, and get some interesting research done. Go see who's on cocaine. When I was, uh, you know, viewing the doc and then going over like articles and articles, the one athlete in the U S that came to mind was Mike Tyson. Like mm. I like, cause he was like, there's like Mike Tyson was just, he's just, it's, it's not Jordan. Cause Jordan doesn't, for what we know, he doesn't dabble in, in the sugar booger, right? And we know that because <laughs> we watched The Last Dance, and he was like, you guys go do that, not me, Michael Jordan, right? right. He, he threw every teammate under the bus under there in, in that doc. But it's Tyson, right? Tyson was like, if you read his that autobiography or watch that one-man show, he's got – he was doing a lot, a lot, a lot of cocaine, right? And so you see this – huge star at a very, very young age, right? Who has the world at his hands. Now with Maradona, it's globally, right? Like, you know what I mean? It's just such a difference, but Tyson had, had everything right. And, and his addiction got to him, that lifestyle being the greatest at what you do and being treated as a God got to him. Um, and, and there's not a person out there who's our age that wouldn't that didn't see this Tyson right like coming this time this kind of I've brought it up before this very calm Mike Tyson uh, or what we think is a calm Mike Tyson so this is it that's to me that's who I thought of like I always try to put it in in some kind of context that makes sense to me but it was you know it's Tyson right who who had who had the wealth who had the fame who, who had the who had the women uh, hanging out with people who probably should have been hanging out with um, and then had a terrible addiction. No, that's actually great. I think that's this is why we, you know, this is why we have these. This, this is why I got brought on. Yeah, no, this is why we have this show. No, because I think that's an excellent. I, you know, I didn't think of Mike Tyson, but I think that's actually probably the. I mean, a guy who who when did Mike turn professional? Like seventeen, eighteen? I uh, was champ at twenty, right? right. Yeah. So I mean, but like he's he's in this money at this ridiculously young age, and and one of the things that we know about Maradona is he turns pro at fifteen, and he's taking care of his family, right? Like in these slums. Um, and, 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 and I think that whereas Maradona had a much stronger kind of familial structure than Mike Tyson. Right. Tyson didn't have that right? outside of cup. Yeah. But I think that you're right in terms of just the fame, fortune, uh, accolades, um, at a young age and in, in the context of the 1980s and nineties. Um, I think that's an excellent, excellent, uh, analogy. Um, I that, go ahead. I mean, I would also add that, I mean, another similarity uh, between Tyson and Maradona that I don't really think it gets uh, teased out as much in the in the um, Maradona documentary, but is you know, also those accusations of, of uh, domestic violence, right? There oh, absolutely. Yeah. Videos of Maradona um, seemingly hitting, right, his girlfriend at the time. Um, so, you know, there's, there's also that kind of similarity as well and kind of the ways in which Maradona... Uh, fit within that within that kind of uh, misogynistic, uh, you know, uh, kind of machismo um, culture of, of football at the time and sports, really. Um, 
and the way we brush it over, right? And and we do this with Tyson all the time. I'm sometimes guilty. I'll remind people that he, you know, he goes to prison for rape, and and there's that Robin Givens, right? Live, it's not live on TV, but it's that Barbara Walters special, right? Yeah. Where she just says, like, but it's like we brush it over. And I was reading an article, one of those recent Maradona articles, and it's like it just mentions it and goes on. I was like, wait a minute, like this is it's one thing to say somebody's complicated, right? It's another thing just to kind of brush these things off. And, and I think sometimes we, we too often do that with, with these mega superstars, right? Like it's just part of the territory and it doesn't really have to be that way. But I mean, that's a great point that you, you brought that up. Cause I was reading it and I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. This never gets talked about. We only talk about his brilliance or his, you know, the cocaine habits. There's mm-hmm. never this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think they try to get. They didn't talk about the uh, abuse, but they talk about his uh, um, his unethical personal life through uh, him not recognizing his son until he was like twenty, right? Like twenty nine, I mean, <laughs> yeah, something. yeah, something crazy like that. I want to add another layer of commonality since we're doing this and uh, we're doing this. This is why I have three uh, brilliant soccer uh, sports folks. Is that they both have Che Guevara tattoos? They both. Oh they, wow! There we go. Yeah, no, but I think they're both attracted to leftist politics in really kind of interesting ways. The documentary doesn't really go into much of that, um, and and we don't really talk a lot about that with Mike Tyson either, right? Like that Tyson is he's got a Mao tattoo and a Che, you know. And I think like twenty twenty Tyson that that doesn't get brought up is to me is. We it's like crazy that like the Mao the chase stuff. It was just a nineties thing, and I think like dude tattoos are permanent. Like we got to talk about this, but I guess not. <laughs> right? Like like do they develop a political ideology? How does this play itself out? I mean, I think there's a good way. I mean, I think there's a good way to to tie these these ideas and themes together because I think some of the attraction um, uh, alluded to in the Maradona doc is, is this extreme poverty that they come from. Right. And that, and that because they have so much wealth, they know how much of it is extraneous. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they know that they don't need all this stuff while people are starving. Like, and I think that they have an acute sensibility about that. Um, even while they have Lamborghinis and Ferraris and mink coats and extra, like, you know, blowing money left and right. At the same time, they recognize that something structurally must happen uh, to 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 so that if you can't play soccer like I can or fight like I can, um, you got an opportunity in this world. I think that's some, I think that's something that really um, I would love to see teased out. Um, yeah. I, as we get close to the end, I just want to say one thing to for my listeners. I have a, I know I have a few former students who play soccer. Um, is the other piece that makes Maradona great, in this, especially in the World Cup and also in Serie A. And if you watch one of these documentaries, the thing you should walk away is that soccer was uh, extremely physical. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, I joke all the time about, you know, when I talk to, uh, to college players, um, about their game and coaches and whatnot. And I'm like, these young kids don't know what it means to be chopped down. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you watch that documentary, you're like, Maradona knows what it means to be chopped down. So when I talk about balance, that he's, he's dribbling the ball in a way that is encouraging um, uh, violence. 
like like literally for people to tackle him as hard as possible. Um, and and, that, and it's and also it, annoying, but, right? It's also annoying, the, like like from a defender <laughs> standpoint, right? Like seeing such a small guy just just manipulate the ball in that way and not get not get taken down or not get separated from the ball, like that annoys the crap out of defenders, right? Yeah. And they lose and they just kind of you know they just kind of slide in with these reckless tackles i mean if you just look at uh his time at barcelona right there's this kind of famous uh brawl right that that takes oh, place oh yes, yes. oh he knocks that guy out that was awesome i bro. mean yeah the dude knocks him out with his knee and then you just you just see other guys flying in with karate kicks i mean it's yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean football was incredibly violent particularly during uh you know during the times of the 80s and and Italy was particularly known for a particular brand of violence. Like this is the thing. It was the best it was the best league in the world. But it was also a league that was determined to win one nothing every night. Right. Yeah, it was a defense, right? That was right. And it was teams where like you're going to get chopped down and we're going to everything was a rock fight, you know? And um and and until, you know, the world I mean, this is what made Brazil so frustrated when they played Italy or Germany in many ways, right? Because, you know, Holland and uh, Brazil, Argentina to a little lesser extent, Spain, they wanted to play free flowing soccer all over the pitch. And these teams like England, Germany to a lesser extent, Italy for sure, uh, and most of the rest of European teams, they just wanted to turn it into a slog. All those Russia, the Soviet Union, Poland, like all those teams would win, and they were like, "Yo, it's just gonna you got to basically rock fight us, and we're gonna, you know, and we're gonna try to get the penalty kicks." And so, one of the things that is hard to appreciate Maradona's greatness in this modern era, because when you look at the stats, you're like, "Oh, he was good. He scored goals and da 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 da. He did these things." But like, like Messi's stats and Ronaldo's stats are like otherworldly compared to, you know, compared to, to Maradona. Um, but, you, you know, like Messi gets fouled quite a bit, but the way that they foul Maradona is completely night and day. Like Ronaldo gets away with stuff and you're like, oh, all that free flowing and running and stuff that you're able to do, that's cool. Right. Those no, dudes, I mean. Dudes would have been like elbow to your head every time the ball was in the air, right? Like, and that's not a foul. Like it was just. Exactly, exactly, exactly. No, you're spot on, right? And, and I mean, I think the, that run, the goal of the century, right, um, in 1986, right, I think he, you know, he, he's, he's getting hacked, right, on that run, right? He, on the way to goal, like, the English defenders are throwing everything they have at him. Um, but he somehow, again, maintains that balance, right? I think, you know, a lot of articles uh, that, I come, that, or that I came across uh, in the wake of his passing use the word uh, celestial, right? This kind mm-hmm. of, he was very, like, the way he was able to uh, control the ball, right, as, as like a round kind of, you know, uh, planetary object, if you will. It's just like right. he was very kind of like he just operated on a different, literally like a different plane field. Like he operated on a different uh, plane field to where he, his, his control of the ball was just um, – I mean, literally it was just otherworldly, right? The kind of – I mean, I think I – think, um, uh, Galliano describes it as you know the you know, this, you know like this ball sewn to his feet. Um, you know it's just like it was it, like it was unable to you know to to lose control. Um, and as you said, it, it just welcomed. It frustrated the you know the opponents, but it also welcomed um, these kind of aggressive you know aggressive uh, tactics against them. 
but you know but but somehow he uh he maintained it right he, you know he sometimes you know i mean he does he refused to he refused to kind of um change his game right like i you know i think he talks about the move from barcelona to italy i mean he does have to adjust his game for sure um he has to play a little quicker um he has i mean obviously he has to play more physical you know but but his kind of fundamental style of of you know dribbling and creating that space um, you know, he refused to give up, which is which is a testament to his toughness, right? Because yeah, I want to. I want to. Before we get out, I want to say one thing. I saw. I watched this video. Of Gary Lineker, who is the great England player, who was on the field that day again in '86 uh, when they lost to uh, Argentina, and he talked about how he was either in some World Cup or in some European game, and Maradona's warming up. And there's all these videos of him warming up, which you should yeah. watch. They're fantastic about this control. But Gary Lineker talks about how he sat and watched Maradona in the center circle basically juggle the ball, kick the ball as high as he possibly could, straight up, and then control it when it came down, juggle it some more, and then kick it straight up. Like, And he did that 13 times in a row before he lost control of the ball. And he was like, oh, that looks crazy. Like, and he's like, I, you know, and all these guys, these are all world-class Hall of Fame players, right? <laughs> they're looking at him and they're like, oh, we could do that. So they go out to the training pitch the next day. They all try it. No one could do it more than three times. He had done it 13 times in a row, just kicking the ball straight up. And, and so the ball comes literally straight back down. And as a person who's played, like, yeah. it is almost impossible to do that more than one time. Right, like right, three, right. Times, three times mean you're a pro, right? Like that means you're like I have unbelievable control. And so when we talk about this, this like the the ability on the field that Maradona possessed, uh, and the fire that he played with, um, uh, I'm reminded of, of 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 when we watched the Last Dance, and Jordan said he took that personally. Like Maradona took that stuff personally, right? Like that dude had a chip, and oh, yeah. I think that this. It was everything was in him to to constantly abuse the North, and he he took on this persona of the underdog. And uh, in the documentary, there's the one where um, during the national anthem, he's like cursing out, like they're booing yeah. through the national. He like he's calling the other team, like yeah. so, so he's cussing them out. In, in the 1990 World Cup, in the 1990 World Cup, right? plot of that game right it's a, i think it's a semifinals match he's playing against italy right which is where he yeah. plays you know uh for napoli and so the italian fans of course want him to i mean essentially they want him to kind of blow the game right, for, right. For italy. um and of course he you know he says of course not right and he and he you know puts away his penalty kick and um i think the argentine you know goalkeeper saves the next shot and they go to the finals which which they lose um against west west germany but he's I mean, he, I mean, you know, I mean, to your point, he's taking everything, right? He's taking everything, uh, you know, analyzing everything, and he, you know, and he consciously thinks about that. I think while he plays, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just something, you know. I mean, when you were given that story of, of you know, his control, like I just have a big smile on my face because, I mean, as <laughs> as a soccer player, you realize how difficult. I mean, we watch these games on TV and we see these guys all the time. Um, you know, control the ball, you know, just like, like right in front of them, you know, and like all of these kind of crazy things that, that look very, very simple. Um, but these things are incredibly difficult, right? <laughs> I think um, just when I think of Maradona, I, I, it makes me think about the fact that, you know, this is a game where, you know, 
people are playing with a, a, a round object, right? And the significance of a circular object and the, the kind of endless possibilities of where that round object can go, right? Um, and the, the, the necessity of control, right, for that round object. Um, that's what I think about when I think of Maradona, his, uh, you know, and his joy, right? The joy that, that he, that he gave people, right? Like I'm sitting here smiling, just listening to a story, right? Just, I mean, I can't imagine watching him play in person or watching him play on TV uh, and the joy that, you know, he, you know, he produced for so many people. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, when Argentina lost to Cameroon in the opening game of the 90 world cup. Yeah. I I was wild game by the way <laughs> it was a wild game it was a wild game it was one of the as a black fan and black player you're like oh this is so amazing but you know it was like after that game you got nothing but pissed off maradona to the end of the tournament and it was like amazing like he wasn't in shape you could tell like and it was like all right okay oh now it was oh i, I took that very personally like it's something that you just gotta like uh, it's hard to fathom, right? And and I think that's greatness about Maradona is that there's not a system. We think of Germany having a system and Holland having a system. This is inside soccer now. I got my soccer guy on here. Uh, and, and we talk about Samba soccer with Brazil. Uh, and England had a very particular style of play. The style of play was Maradona. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was it. That was it. He, he dictated what, what the team was going to do. He dictated how the team was going to play, where, when they were going to move forward, when they were going to move back. I mean, he was literally the general of the field, and I think that's what. I mean, I've read I've read people talk about what separates Maradona from, say, a Pele or um, even you know a, you know a player like Messi. And it's it's w- w- one of the things is that the fact that he played, he really controlled the team by himself, right? He didn't have uh, other superstars around him, um, and he he you know in 1986 kind of is the manifestation of um, kind of you know his brilliance at at its peak, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, with that, man, Lou, you want to come in? You want to say something? No, no, nothing but peace, man. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. This has been brilliant. I appreciate it. Well, Jermaine, thank you for coming on uh, our, our the Black Athlete Pod, as always. Um, and, you know, congrats on making it through your first semester uh, as, a, as a professor, a full, fully employed professor. Uh, and we, we are truly grateful and appreciative of your insights uh, into to soccer, and we look forward to having this conversation again in the future. Absolutely. Thank you all for bringing me on. It was a pleasure as always. Uh, yeah, and I look forward to it. All right. All right. Peace. And by the way, everybody, that was my dog. So thank you. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>